Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. We need to learn to take God at his word. Sounds easy enough, especially when it's smooth sailing. But in the midst of a storm, even the disciples of Jesus needed a reminder. On one occasion, he told them, let us go over to the other side. They did. En route to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, however, their boat encountered a furious squall. The sky opened and buckets of water fell and waves threatened to overturn the boat. The disciples turned to Jesus and found him sound asleep. They screamed, Don't you care if we drown? Jesus woke up, stood up, commanded the storm to shut up, and then said to the disciples, Do you still have no faith? What a stunning rebuke. The sea was raging, the water was churning. Why did Jesus scold them? Oh, simple. They didn't take him at his word. He said they were going to the other side. He didn't say we are going to the middle of the lake to drown. Jesus had declared the outcome. But when the storm came, the disciples heard the roar of the winds and forgot his word. Storms are coming your way. Winds will howl, your boat will be tossed, and you will have a choice. Will you hear Christ or the crisis? Heed the promises of Scripture or the noise of the storm? Will you take God at his word? We're here in the Archbishop's Corner, where Archbishop Leonard Blair of Hartford will help us be strong in faith and encourage us to take God at his word. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space, into the Archbishop's Corner. How are you today on this Father's Day? Very well, thank you, Father. We're celebrating every year on the third Sunday of June, Father's Day, ever since 1910 when it first began. Surveys show that Americans will spend less on gifts for dads this Father's Day than they spent on moms for Mother's Day last month. While that doesn't seem fair, a survey of dads shows that the majority would just like quality time with their family. With the frantic pace of our lives today, I do think quality time with family is probably the best gift that dad could receive. Your thoughts? Well, I agree. I'm sure that many mothers would appreciate that gift, too. Mm. Uh, I hope I don't get into trouble in today's culture wars by saying I think that the mothers appreciate candy and flowers more than a guy would for being a dad. But uh, the, the reality is uh, that, that that is the fact. And so we wish all of our fathers, uh, both uh, physical and uh, spiritual fathers, uh, we wish them a happy day. Wednesday is the official start of summer which means that the day is the longest day of the year. Since we will experience more daylight than any other day, 15 hours and 11 minutes to be exact, Wednesday is also referred to as National Daylight Appreciation Day. Now, although autumn is considered Americans' favorite season, summertime is a favorite season for many. Which season do you prefer? Summer. Yeah, me too. Especially with vacation and the warmer weather. Yeah, I like the summer. And today is Positive Media Day, a day to propel positively into mainstream media. Now, oftentimes, negative media overshadows the positive impact people are making on the world every single day. 
What are your thoughts on the necessity of positive media to counteract the negativity that we always see on the news? I think the church has said things about this in the interests of uh, the good of the human person and truthfulness. And uh, I know that the even Second Vatican Council uh, talked about uh, social communications. The church today is engaged in social communications in keeping with uh, modern developments. But of course, you know, the word is a powerful thing. Information is a powerful thing. And it's frightening today to think how it can be distorted. You know, that people can create photographs of things that didn't really happen or edit things with words and such, or just report, you know, to use that phrase we hear so often now, false news. Um, so that's that's kind of scary, uh, that uh, we have to be careful that we're not manipulated and that we don't, we're not fed things that um, are not true. But I just don't know how exactly you get a handle on that, other than people's own vigilance, uh, particularly, that they're careful about the sources that they use for what they yeah. are told and use a certain discretion. I mean, I must say, and I'm not just saying this as a bishop, but somebody responsible for um, a major institution and such, that sometimes things are reported that you can't even, you can't address completely for various reasons uh, or that are inaccurate or create a, you know, uh, certain impressions. But again, we just have to be um, vigilant but and charitable, and we have to uh, do our best to, to always set the record straight in the right way. Friday is a day that's being called Let It Go Day, which is the perfect occasion to stop wasting energy on negative feelings and instead focus on building a positive future. This day began with the intent of encouraging people throughout the world to let go of their regrets and forgive themselves for actions taken in the past. Talk a little bit about, Archbishop, about how important it is to not only forgive others, but also forgive yourself as well. Well, I mean, this is the very heart of the gospel. I mean, the fact that we are all sinners, that we all, uh, you know, are alienated from God and therefore from one another and from creation, even, I dare say, from ourselves, it can be. Christ is the healer. Christ is the one who came to redeem us of all this. And so we have to strive to live accordingly by God's grace. Some things can only be healed by God's grace, and uh, but that's what we have to pray for and strive for. If an individual is having a difficult time letting go of something that's happened between he, she, or somebody else. Say somebody has done something, and they're having a difficult time forgiving, letting it go. What would you recommend? Well, I think we've talked about this before, uh, that I always make the point, uh, and I suppose it bears repeating, that this is an act not of feelings, but of the will. And by that I mean that we may not feel like forgiving uh, or getting over something, but we have to have the desire to do so, uh, the will to do so, and we have to ask God for the grace to make it so. And so uh, it's not like pretending that uh, the thing is not there, but it is, uh, it is willing to, to let go of it with God's grace and in keeping with uh, the teachings of our Lord in the gospel. And sometimes it takes a while to, to get to the point where you can let it go and forgive not only others, but yourself too. 
Well, maybe some people never get over it completely, but that's not the point. The point is that they strive to do that with God's grace. And, you know, we have to realize that nobody lives here forever, that God is perfectly just and perfectly merciful in a way that we cannot understand. And when we leave this world, we're totally in his hands. So we have to trust in that. I think that the things we that we are so important to us sometimes or so so uh, make such a deep wound or impression, you know, in eternity, really, it, it's a different thing. On Saturday, June 24th, we observe the Feast of St. John the Baptist. And this day commemorates the life of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. His purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus. Following St. John the Baptist's feast day, the days grow shorter until the winter solstice near Christmas, where they grow... Oh, don't say that. Mm, where they grow longer. <laughs> Nobody's thinking of that at the end of June, I hope. Well, it, it seems that um, the, the significance of the days growing shorter would be significant, recalling the words of John the Baptist with regard to Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. So as the days go forward after John the Baptist, it's like John decreasing while Jesus increases. Well, you're reminding me that, that you know, you, I forgot about that. That's uh, the 24th Saturday. Yes. That's the day of our priesthood ordinations. So we're ordaining two men to the priesthood for the Archdiocese on the 24th. So I'll have to keep that in mind. I was thinking about the homily, uh, if it's on the Feast of the 24th, we might make some mention of that. You could use that part of your uh, your homily. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. Anytime. Glad to oblige. <laughs> Let's now talk a little bit about the road to happiness in life. And this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis, drawn from some of his writings. So I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and then we'll ask you to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said. And this is taken from Pope Francis's general audience, delivered on October 15th of 2014, and is called, We're Waiting for the Groom. He says, We are waiting for Jesus' return. The church, as bride, awaits her groom. We must ask ourselves, however, with total sincerity, are we truly luminous and credible witnesses of this expectation, of this hope? Do our communities still live in the sign of the presence of the Lord Jesus and in the fervent expectation of his coming? Or do they appear tired, sluggish, weighed down by fatigue and resignation? Do we run the risk of exhausting the oil of faith, the oil of joy? Let's be careful. Your thoughts, Archbishop? Well, Pope Francis has often spoken about joy, you know, the joy of the gospel, Evangelii Gaudium. And uh, certainly this is true. There's so much in the world today to weigh us down and to make us kind of dour, whether in the church, in our country, in the world, in society. But uh, the point is simply the point of the gospel itself and Christ himself, who said that, you know, in the world you will have trouble, but fear not, I have conquered the world. And in the world you will have sorrows and crosses, but I give you a joy that no one can take from you. And I do think that's important that uh, you know, St. Philip Neri was in Rome, the apostle of joy, that he and all the saints, I think, have exhibited uh, a joyfulness that is uh, the joy of the gospel, Evangelii Gaudium in Latin. And I think that we need to do that. Uh, whatever we're tempted to put us down, 
or to make us dour or mournful, we always have to realize that Christ has conquered sin and death. Christ has conquered the world. Uh, we're waiting for that fully to be revealed and manifest. But in the meantime, he tells us we have to bear our crosses like him, but we do it with confidence and joy and with uh, peace. Let's take a look now at our gospel reading before we uh, look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. This gospel reading on the 11th Sunday in Ordinary Time is from Matthew's ninth chapter. And after this gospel is dramatically presented, then we'll ask you to comment, Archbishop. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every infirmity. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every infirmity. These twelve Jesus sent out, charging them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and preach as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying. Give without pay. Archbishop, what inspiring thoughts do you have for us on our gospel for today? Well, there's a very important admonition here that our Lord gives us that's more timely today than ever. He says, the harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. And so, of course, in our archdiocese, every parish is supposed to offer, I've asked every parish, told every parish to offer uh, at uh, at the end of Mass on Sunday, at least, on Sunday, or Saturday evening and Sunday, the prayer for priestly vocations. And, uh, you know, this is very important. I, I, maybe I've said this on the air before, yeah. but dioceses where the bishop has asked people to devote themselves to prayer, there has been an uptick in a number of, of seminarians. And we need to do the same. Our Lord himself tells us this. Uh, so who are we to think otherwise? These disciples, in this case the 12 apostles, they're sent out he says that they are to go uh, with a mission, on a mission. And that's what we have, too. We have a mission. I think Pope Francis has been very strong about this, but so have his predecessors, about the sense of mission, that we cannot just stay uh, locked up in our uh, usual ways. We have to go out. But that, if, if people think, oh, that's good, the priests need to do that. Well, I hate to tell you, but it's not just the priests. That means each and every one of us who are baptized and professing the faith we need to go out and uh, be missionary disciples, as we've been talking about in recent years, that each of us has to go out. You know, I think of some of our fundamentalist uh, brothers and sisters, uh, Baptists, uh, who are, you know, they're not ashamed and shy about uh, giving witness to their faith. And yet we Catholics sometimes can be so quiet about it. I think we've been conditioned to be that way by a lot of anti-Catholic prejudice at one time. But those days have to be over. We have to, it's not an in-your-face kind of thing, but it's simply a serene acknowledgement and practice of the faith that uh, people can know and that can be done in such a way that it's inviting to people, it's intriguing to people, uh, so that they will be drawn to it. 
It's interesting that when Jesus sent out the twelve, he gave them the tools for the mission, authority over unclean spirits, ability to cure disease and illness. When a man is ordained to the priesthood or episcopacy today, can we say God gives him the tools for the mission? Well, God always gives all that is necessary to fulfill any vocation in life, whether it's marriage, fatherhood, motherhood, whether it's a religious sister or a priest. God always gives us what we need for our state of life to to live the gospel. So we have to have confidence in that. That's why, you know, these my baptism and and holy orders and marriage, you know, and religious consecration which is not one of the seven sacraments, but it's a special form of consecration of one's baptism. Uh, all those things carry with them great graces, provided we have a heart and mind and soul open to receive what God is prepared to give. In this society, in this world today, as you ordain two men to the priesthood, what tools do they specifically need to minister to God's people in the year 2000? Well, first of all, they have to be good human beings with a good personal formation. That is to say, they have to be people who can work with people, who can uh, draw people, engage people in a way proper to their state in life. They also have to be people, uh, men of virtue. Now, all of us uh, uh, have our faults and failings. None of us is perfect, but they have to be virtuous, uh, and they can't be given over to... um, how should we say, defects of character or behaviors or things that are incompatible, uh, not only with uh, uh, an upright uh, Christian life, but also by living a life as a pastor of souls. Um, And then people differ in their gifts, you know. Some are great teachers, some are great uh, preachers, some are wonderful working with the sick, some of them have a gift for dealing with young people. Uh, some of them are known for for being very compassionate, having a, a very a, a willing ear to hear people's troubles. But we all have to uh, bring t- to this ministry a real integrity of life. And sad to say, we all know how the church has been severely wounded. The gospel's been wounded by priests who are not faithful to the, not only to their promises of ordination, but even to the fundamental moral truths of the of the faith. So God is always with us, but the devil's always working overtime, and we have to be vigilant, and we have to have discretion about who we, who we send out into the harvest, to use our Lord's words. But I am confident, you know, none of us is perfect, but I'm confident that we are ordaining good men to do this work. How do we live out today the words of Jesus Without cost you have received, without cost you are to give. Well, I think that means we can't be looking, I mean, it's not literally about money. It's about, um, it's about the fact that God is so generous with us uh, uh, that we, in turn, have to be generous with what we, what we have. You know, we talk about that uh, trio, time, talent, and treasure, that those are the things we have to be stewards of. And, of course, Christ talks about stewardship a lot to be good stewards of the time, talent, and treasure God has given us. And that applies to every person, uh, including the clergy uh, and religious life. But uh, those are the, 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 that's where we have to look at ourselves and see what, what we're doing. 
Let's take a look at some of the questions submitted by our listeners. For instance, Lewis from Berlin says, People sometimes seem so filled with hate and anger, especially when you talk politics. Is it getting worse because fewer people believe in God and practice a religion, any religion? Jesus told us to treat others as we want to be treated, and many other faiths have this same message. Well, thank you, Lewis, for that question. Yes, I very much think that's the case. All of us can are capable of uh, being filled with anger, resentment, and even hatred. But clearly, if uh, you are uh, a person of religious faith, you know that your religion then not only instructs you uh, to live otherwise, but by the grace of God, you are enabled, you are empowered to live that kind of virtue. Yes, and I, I do think that with fewer people believing in God, going to church, practicing a religion, first of all, it leads to an emptiness and frustration in their own lives, quite apart from politics. But then when you you start to talk about social life or political life, this um, personal discontent, this, this unsettled kind of um, frustration that people have in life boils over into the public sphere. And it's not just politics. Look, look at what's happening in education today. I mean, really, we are becoming a people at war with ourselves. People are, are just, I don't know, it, it, it's partly perhaps because of COVID and uh, the, the uh, emotional, mental effects of, that that had on some people, uh, but also uh, a, a lack of religious uh, faith, of a spiritual uh, depth uh, and the grace of God. Because let's, we don't want to say that this is just a human thing. The grace of God is given to us to practice uh, patience and, uh, and forgiveness and, uh, uh, you know, some kind of spirit of cooperation uh, with other people. Peace, the gift of peace, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the virtues, all of these things that come from the Bible and from that you can read about in the catechism, all the social teaching of the church about how people should live and, and work and act together for the common good. All of those things suffer when people are frustrated uh, and angry for lack of a spiritual depth or a spiritual life. So I'm giving you a very long answer to your question, but I do think you've hit upon something very troubling that we all need to work at. This thing about in our society about people notice how people are driving these yeah. days. Yeah. You know, sometimes you see these these cars that come racing along uh, from, you know, crossing three lanes. And uh, I mean, I, I know that we've always had our crazy drivers, uh, but but it's remarkable how many you see like this who seem to be just courting disaster. They just don't seem to care anymore. It, it's really uh, a very troubling thing, and I think it's symptomatic. But there are a lot of symptomatic things that are happening in society today. And they're not just the result of... Uh, economic stress or something. I, I think it's much, you know, for example, uh, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a fact that, that young men who might otherwise be kind of wild, if I can put it that way, uh, when they settle down, to use the old phrase, settle down with the responsibilities of marriage and family and children, uh, you know, they act differently. You know, a father is not going to drive 80 miles an hour in a 20-mile zone uh, if he's got kids, at least not a sane one. 
Uh, but when you when you unloosen these bonds of society of social life, uh, you you create all kinds of of, uh, of difficulties and temptations, and we have to be careful that our society, for lack of faith, for lack of religion, uh, doesn't unravel. I mean, it's very troubling, even what we see in politics, how people are fighting. You know yes, that yes. they don't. Uh, they, they can't even pass a law together about compromise or something. Everything has become radicalized, and that is very dangerous for democracy uh, and for the future. So let's not only pray that this doesn't happen, uh, this unraveling, but let's also stand up and be counted to make sure that we, we elect people who are uh, reasonable and that we ourselves become reasonable uh, people who want to work with others. And Donald from Milford says, I heard on the news that Pope Francis has sent a Vatican official to Bolivia to report on the efforts of church officials in that country to prevent abuse of children. This comes at a time when new accusations of abuse and cover-ups has shaken the church there. I'm very distressed to hear of this. What is going on? Well, Donald, what was originally thought to be something that was confined to somehow to the United States years ago, because we're talking about years ago here, uh, is now been shown to be widespread. And so, yes, if in Bolivia now this is coming to the fore, the church is absolutely committed to dealing with it. Pope Francis has certainly said as much. And so if he sent someone there from the Holy See to investigate, then all the better. I mean, it has taken on very significant kinds of of processes and and uh, steps not only to deal with with cases of the past but also to prevent sexual abuse. You know, people don't sometimes realize that in the United States today, it is acknowledged that the Catholic Church is doing more to prevent sexual abuse of minors than uh, perhaps any other institution. I mean, we've inaugurated huge uh, steps uh, of uh, education and vigilance, screening of of people in this sinful world. Will it never happen again? I don't know in an individual case, but we strive to do everything we possibly can to forestall that, to prevent it, and if it does happen, to deal with it. And I think that the the bishops of Bolivia can look to the history of what the United States has done in handling the sexual abuse of children and maybe uh, appropriate some of the measures in their own country. Well, that's much to be much to be hoped. When this first happened, you know, People looked and said, oh, well, that's the United States. That doesn't, that's th- their problem. But we see now that that's far from true mm-hmm. And uh, after all these years. And so we have to be uh, vigilant and proactive. And let's see if we can't squeeze in one last question. Archbishop Bruce from Waterbury says, my niece recently had the christening for her newborn, and there was another child in the church for baptism. The child was old enough to be walking. How old should a Catholic child be for baptism? Well, Bruce, traditionally, it used to be that we said uh, in Latin, quam primum, which means as soon as possible after birth, a child should be baptized. But that uh, has its roots in the days when infant mortality was extremely high. You know, I remember once when I was, I was archivist in the, my home diocese, Archdiocese of Detroit, and I, when I was a very young priest, and I remember seeing a sacramental book from one of the parishes and I, I was looking and I said, this can't be the funeral book. This, this has to be the baptismal book. And I said, but that didn't make sense either. It was the funeral book because infant mortality in a city like Detroit around the t- maybe 1890, 1900 was horrific. 
And so all these children were, were buried. So we always said quam primum, as soon as possible. In modern uh, medical conditions of our country today, we don't say that it has to be absolutely right away. But certainly, and I, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm sure the wording says, you know, within a reasonable time or at the first convenience of the family that the child should be baptized. But in some cases, you know, if Aunt Sally is coming to be the godmother and she lives in California and she's going to be here in a couple months and we're going to wait, well, that's not unreasonable. And as far as a child already old enough to walk, I just thank God and rejoice that the parents are having the child baptized, even mm. if it is a little long in coming. Uh, we're grateful and glad for that. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord, as you sent the first apostles out to be your witnesses in the world, so you send us to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We strive to do that by our baptism, each and every one of us, but we also heed your words that laborers are few, and we need to ask your heavenly Father to send laborers into his harvest. So please, Lord, bless us with many more uh, priests for the Archdiocese of Hartford, many more vocations, many more young men who will say yes to this call so that the gospel may be preached, the sacraments uh, celebrated, and uh, we may have shepherds uh, in our communities after your own heart is the good shepherd. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We're going to take some time off for the summer, but we'll be back sometime in September with the Archbishop's Corner. Until then, I wish you a very pleasant, relaxing summer vacation. You mean you're going to take a vacation? Well, we're going to take some time to relax, maybe. I'm just giving you a hard time. I'm going to take some time, too. Great. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.